All right. Well, we have uh, three announcements. The first is that this uh, Saturday morning at uh, 7.30, we have men's prayer breakfast. And that is a good time to that we have to talk about some important issues. We're finishing up what we've done for the last year with uh, how should we then live. And then I've got several things I'm thinking about that we'll start uh, in July. But what I'd really like to do is have some of these political uh, speakers come in, in which case we'll open it up to everybody um, one thing y'all can pray about is that uh, next week I won't be here on Thursday night. Wayne House will be here. I'm going to be speaking on Friday to the National Association of Christian Legislators who are having their annual meeting in Branson, Missouri. And one of the organizers is Jason Rapert, who is a state senator in Arkansas who was instrumental in getting Jim and Phyllis and myself out of Ukraine. And so he said even he said back then, he said, I want you to come and tell everybody about what it was like getting out, the whole story. So that is uh, coming up a week from Friday, so you can uh, pr- pray about that. And um, anyway, I've got some people there and here that I've talked to about speaking to the men's prayer breakfast, but it's getting, because this fall election is very important. We have to understand what is really going on. Every time I go and I listen to knowledgeable people talk about what's actually happening in the Texas state legislature, it's not what you hear. Okay, there's all kinds of, and just it's just good information to know what the machinations are uh, within the legislature and within the government and what we need to be uh, paying attention to and especially praying for. So I'm hoping we have a couple of speakers. I've reached out to um, Alex, I can't remember her last name, running against um, Lena Hidalgo for the county judgeship. And what's her name, Alex? Miller. And Alexandra Miller, and so she wasn't sure what her summer vacation schedule with her kids was going to be. So that's going to be the third or third or fourth, or I mean second or third Saturday in um, in August. But I think we'll be able to nail her down. So that'll be good to find out what actually is going on in county government. So this, these, all these things are are really important. Uh, on S- July 3rd, we're having an Independence Day barbecue dinner and churches providing brisket, and we ask for families to bring uh, sides, desserts, uh, whatever else they want to contribute to that meal, and we'll also especially need volunteers to clean up afterwards, and then ju- Vacation Bible School is July 19th to 21st. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall defend your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. For the grass withers and the flower fades, 
but the word of our God shall stand forever. Before we get started, we'll have a few moments of silent prayer, and then we will, uh, then I will open in prayer, and then we will get into our study this evening. Let's pray. Our Father, we know that you are in control of the events of history, that you are allowing things to work their way out in certain ways uh, due to decisions that have been made in previous generations, and we see the, uh, the consistency in the cycles of history take place as a result of those who make bad decisions, those who reject the truth of your word, and the reality reality is is that we are living in a pagan nation not unlike Israel in the time of the judges and that there are places where the light is evident more than in others and areas in this country where it is incredibly dark and father we as believers need to walk wisely we need to learn what wisdom walking is all about and it only comes from your word And so tonight, as we continue our study in how to know your will, it is important for us to understand that it is the internalizing and assimilation of your will into our thinking that gives us that framework of wisdom from which we can make skillful decisions about life. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to the truth of your word. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, last time, coming out of the episode of Gideon putting out the fleece to uh, see if God really, really, actually, truly, intentionally, purposefully wants him to attack the Midianites. After all, God has only said it three times very clearly that God is going to be his strength and that if he goes in this, your strength, you will defeat the Midianites. So it's very, very clear. But lest we be too hard on Gideon, he's not unlike the rest of us in that we have clear statements about what God's will is in his word, which we ignore every single day. So we have to understand how we make decisions on the basis of God's word. Last time I talked about some various, uh, some various uh, introductory principles, which I'm not going to review tonight, and just start with some basic misconceptions. There's, there's probably more than two ways in which people conceive of how we know God's will for our life. But the two primary ones are that God has this sort of special plan for your life and has things all sort of laid out step by step in terms of the specific decisions that we should make every single day. And so this is usually referred to as living in the center of God's will, and that if you're not right there in the center of God's will, if you're just off a little to the left or a little to the right, then you don't really have um, the best that God has for you. This leads to just a a tremendous amount of of subjectivity, navel-gazing, and quasi-mysticism in trying to figure out what God wants us to do. 
And so you run into these um, these statements. And so I put these up last week, true and false statements. First statement is that God has a specific will for how and what each believer thinks. The second is that God always has a specific operational will for every believer. The third statement, true or false, is that God always has a specific geographical will for every believer. And the last one is God always has a specific will for every decision we make in life. And I said last time the first two are true. Even though it has the word always in there, God always has a specific operational will. What I mean by operational will is God has a plan of how we grow in the spiritual life, how we are to live our lives, how we are to be productive spiritually. That's operational. We're to walk by the Spirit. We're to confess sin. We're to pray without ceasing. All of these different things, many, many more prohibitions and mandates in Scripture define the operational will of God, how we are to live our life. It doesn't deal with specific decisions such as, should I marry this woman, that woman, stay single, or should I go to this college, not go to college, um, all of those different kinds of decisions, take this job, take that job. Um, sometimes God has a specific specific will. Sometimes he does not. Uh, the issue there is always. Sometimes God has a specific geographical will, such as when he spoke to Jonah. We'll review that. Uh, but other times in Jonah's life, God was not concerned about whether Jonah was in the north in Israel, south in Judah. There's no indication he was doing unless God gave him special revelation. Now, what special revelation? Special revelation is, first of all, verbal revelation. That means God is speaking in words. He is speaking in uh, what we call propositional truth. A propositional truth has to do with with making specific declarative statements that are either true or false. And God also speaks in terms of mandates. And we saw a number of examples of this last time where God specifically told Abraham to get up and leave his home in Ur of the Chaldees. But that wasn't for everybody. That was just for Abraham. And he was to leave his family behind, which he didn't did. So didn't do. So he... He's got partial obedience. Uh, God gave specific revelation to Noah as to what he was supposed to do in terms of building the ark. But in many other areas in life, there's not that kind of specific revelation. So special revelation is what we have in the scriptures. There's two kinds of special revelation in history. The first kind of special revelation in history is inscripturated revelation. The second kind of special revelation is non-inscripturated revelation. What do I mean by non-inscripturated? God gave specific information to many of the Old Testament prophets that was not recorded. In some cases, we know that God told them not to write it down. So there is special revelation that is not in the canon of Scripture, and there is special revelation... Uh, and the, but all of the canon of Scripture is special revelation. But with the closing of the canon and the cessation of the revelatory gifts, those are the gifts of apostle, 
the gift of prophet, the gift of knowledge and wisdom. Uh, with the closing of those, shutting down of those gifts, when those gifts ceased, then we're left with just the special revelation of Scripture. And so the task of the believer is to study what God's Word has to say and go beneath the top three or four surface layers and really dig into God's Word, not looking for mystical meanings, not looking for hidden meanings, not looking for uh, allegories and these kinds of things, but just truly thinking through the Word and understanding it um, and the implications of it is more than just a surface level, okay? So that's how we learn as a re- the result of that. As we do that under the uh, ministry of God the Holy Spirit, the filling ministry of God the Holy Spirit, then what the Holy Spirit does is he takes that knowledge that we get and he converts that to a, a more practical knowledge of application which in turn builds to develop skill and to develop uh, the ability to produce a life that has value in terms of creating something that glorifies God. And that's what we're after. And so that's, that's called the wisdom approach. It's not this living in the center of God's will where you have to think through every, every single decision, no matter how minute, no matter how... Um, seemingly irrelevant, and you have to say, is this what God wants me to do? Maybe he wants me to do this. Should I take Westheimer to go downtown today, or should I take Richmond? Should I go in on I-10, or should I go over to 290? And, you know, anything can happen. You can take one route and end up being in in an automobile accident, or you can take the same route and be behind the automobile accident and save somebody's life, but we don't know. And that's where... Uh, passages like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 come in that we trust the Lord and he makes our paths straight so that uh, he doesn't speak to us because that would be special revelation. And so that that's just a form of mysticism and that leads to subjectivism. So we have to think precisely and look at the scripture to see precisely what's going on. So the first two statements are true. And the next two are false. God does not always have a specific geographical will. Sometimes he does. And then he makes it clear. We can't miss it. We'll talk about that as we go along. And that God sometimes has a specific will for decisions, sometimes not. And I'm talking about decisions that aren't moral, decisions that aren't dealt with in terms of mandates or prohibitions in the Scripture. So I'm just going to quickly go through the first uh, couple of points that I talked about last time. Uh, We need to define these terms, will of God. And so that term really describes three aspects of God's will, divine volition in relation to his creation. His sovereign will is also called his decretive will, what God decreed would happen. It's sometimes called the sovereign will of God, what he willed would happen. Sometimes it's the secret will of God because it's not revealed. Uh, It's what God determined would happen. And then we also have the phrase, the permissive will of God, that in the sovereign will of God, God allows sin and allows human uh, 
humans to make bad decisions, evil decisions, and he allows that to happen. So that's his uh, permissive will of, of uh, uh, the permissive will of God. So God's sovereign will includes allowing or permitting sin, such as the sinful act of Adam and Eve in the garden. They had volition, and so they could make that decision, and they could rebel against God. God gave the same uh, volition to Lucifer before the fall, and then he sinned, and so God permitted that for reasons we can't comprehend. We can understand a few of them in a finite way, but uh, that was the whole point of the 42, 43, 42 chapters in Job that God is pointing out to Job that even if I told you, you wouldn't understand it. Our finite minds just can't comprehend all of that. So we can only know, let's go back to that last line, we can only know God's will in the sovereign sense after the fact. Okay, now next thing is God's moral will. This is also called his revealed will, what he says we are to do and what we're not to do. It's called his desiderative will or his desired will. And so this is what the we find in the Old Testament law, for example, the thou shalt nots and the thou shalts, that it describes the moral will. But the moral will... Uh, not all of the law was part of God's moral will. Much of the law related to God's ritual will for Israel and his will for their civil government. And that only applied to Israel. It didn't apply to other, other nations. But when God wants somebody to be somewhere, as we saw in Genesis 12:1, he instructed Abraham, get out of your country. It is special revelation. And Exodus 3:10. He tells Moses, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That is God's specific revelation. But for the previous 40 years, Moses is doing what he is supposed to do in terms of his daily responsibilities as uh, working with Jethro, looking over the sheep, watching over the sheep. He gets married. He has a family, begins to have a family. All of those things just come under the normative responsibilities of someone's life, and there's nothing special or specific that God wants, wanted him to do until the right time. Then there's special revelation. Joshua 1-2, Joshua is commissioned by God to take Moses' place and to take the Israelites into, um, into the land. So that's all related to this special, uh, special revelation. So in Judges 6, that's what we see with, with uh, Gideon. God told Gideon that he would be the one to deliver Israel uh, from the Midianites. So under C, God's specific will, where he tells you you must do this and not do that, that's the functional will of God. That's how he wants us to live. He tells, gives us those guidelines in many, many places. Uh, another term for it is his operational will, how he wants us to live our lives, to operate our lives, and specific geographical will that we find those statements in the Scripture are always expressed through revelation, through special revelation. God makes it clear it's not a guessing game. And so we can't miss that geographical will of God. 
Uh, Jonah 1-2, God said to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And Ezekiel 4-1, we went through that last time. I'm just going to skip over some of these. Acts 10, 3 through 6, God is giving a special revelation to Cornelius, and in the same chapter, he gave special revelation to Peter as to what they should do. And then we talked about the concept of God's overriding will. This is seen after Jonah had disobeyed God. God permitted him to do that and to uh, contradict his geographical will. So what, did, what happened? Well, God brought a storm upon the ocean, upon the Mediterranean Sea, so that the uh, ship that he was on could not make any progress. And, in fact, the sailors feared for their life. And uh, finally, Jonah confessed as to what was happening, and they, uh, despite the fact that uh, they really didn't want to, it became obvious they had to, and they threw him overboard, and God had a fish taxi waiting for him. And that fish brought him back to the area around Tel Aviv and just uh, vomited him out onto the beach. So if you say... I don't want to follow God's will. I don't want to go do this. And God wants you to do that, that you can make every decision in the world and you're going to end up doing, going and being where God wanted you to go and be. And you don't have to guess at it. He will get you there. So the Lord, um, what we see here, the word of the Lord then came to Jonah the second time. That's grace. Sometimes with us, it's the 250th time. And then we finally hear the lesson and go, oh, I guess that's what I need to be doing. So uh, he gives Jonah the command to go to Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. And so Jonah rose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So we came close. This is about where we stopped last time. This right circle describes and defines God's sovereign will. We don't know what God will allow. We don't know what God's sovereign will is. It's not revealed. And so we would only know it after, after the fact. And then we have God's moral or revealed will, and it overlaps. Let me go back and do that one again. So we have God's moral will, and that describes this other area that... Uh, is described by the commands, the prohibitions of Scripture, and they overlap. The shaded area is that part of God's sovereign will, what he allows to happen, that conforms to what he has revealed, where people are in obedience to him, and he allows that. That is part of his, his plan. So, for example, we could take the American War for Independence. Not everything that was done was right. Not everything that is done in even the best war, the most just war, is going to be right. But generally, it was God. God's sovereign will allowed that. Not that it was wrong, not permissive will to do evil, but he allowed that to take place. And yet within the framework, there were those in, in authority who wanted to do it the way God defined uh, things ethically and morally in Scripture. And so that's where you see 
the overlap. In God's moral or revealed will, described by this circle, this defines the boundaries of the mandates, imperatives, and prohibitions in Scripture. In the Mosaic Law, there were 613 commands. In the New Testament, just looking at imperative mood verbs, there are well over 500, I think over 550 imperative mood verbs. But that's not the only way in Greek that you're going to articulate a command. So it's almost impossible to figure out how many commands or prohibitions there are in the New Testament. It goes way beyond 500, probably somewhere around 1,000 or 1,500 commands. Now, it used to be that people thought legalism is saying you need to do what God said to do. That's not legalism. Legalism is the idea that, that telling people to do what God says to do as a, and their obedience as a form of just superficial obedience as the means for blessing, uh, it, that's legalism. If I just perfunctorily do what God says to do, then he will bless me. If I put money in the offering plate on Sunday, then God's going to bless me because I did that that Scripture teaches that all of God's blessing in our lives comes because we have the righteousness of Christ. It's not because of our obedience or disobedience. Uh, That's grace. Okay, so um, the circle describes, as it were, uh, we talk about the left circle, the right circle, the left circle is positional truth, the right circle is experiential truth. This is the right circle. As long as we're walking by the Spirit, obeying the Word of God, we're inside God's moral will, His revealed will. But when we sin, then we're outside of God's moral revealed will. And that's in the area of God's permissive will. And then we confess sin in order to be restored uh, to fellowship. So we have several key verses that describe this sovereign will of God. This is the fact that he rules his creation. He is moving human history to an ultimate goal, and he is going to accomplish that without necessarily destroying or walking all over, all over human volition. We can decide to do all kinds of things, and we're morally accountable for those decisions, but then God does not allow us to bring it about. Those can be bad decisions and those can be good decisions. We can decide if that if we have a certain amount of money at the end of the month, we want to support someone uh, with that excess. But then uh, God may bring a couple of flat tires into our experience and there goes that extra money because God doesn't want that extra money going to that particular ministry for whatever reason. So we can't just second-guess all the, all the what-ifs. So the sovereign will of God is stated in Daniel 4.35, and all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven. Now we know that that phrase, the host of heaven, is among the angels. He does according to his will in, in the host of heaven among the angelic hosts, fallen angels, and... Uh, elect angels and among the inhabitants of the earth. 
There are no other sentient beings in God's creation other than the angelic hosts and the uh, human beings on on the earth. Second verse is Proverbs 21.1, a verse that I often refer to in my prayers that God would uh, change the king's heart, change the heart of Putin uh, like a channel of water and turn it in an opposite direction. What's interesting is, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, how many of you have seen a honest-to-goodness, accurate portray, a picture video of Putin in the last five weeks since his surgery? None. It's very interesting. You see his hand, allegedly his hand, or you see a profile that's allegedly his profile. One wonders what has happened to him. God is working. He may not work the way we think he does. We may not work as fast as we think he should, but God is in charge of moving human history to a particular place. And there's a lot of what I call a prophecy pornography right now where they're appealing to the prurient interests of a lot of people. Oh, I want to know exactly where we are on God's plan. Well, get with the spiritual life of the believer and spiritual growth and get away from all these titillating things about prophecy because uh, we don't know where we are. You know, a lot of people think, oh, we're very, very close. But we don't know. That's just pure guesswork. I remember back in the late 70s when the European Union finally reached 10 nations. And remember, you have a 10-nation confederacy that um, out of which the Antichrist rises. And, oh... Everybody just knew that at any moment that rapture was going to occur because finally this 10-nation European confederacy out of the Roman Empire had come into existence. And now it's many more than 10 nations, and they don't always work together very well. So we don't know what's going to happen. You have other people come along and say, I have heard this, make pronouncements, that the Antichrist will come out of the World Economic Forum. That, That is irresponsible. Because no one knows. I have my opinions, you have your opinions, but those opinions don't belong in a pulpit. We have to go with what the Word of God says. And we have to live each day as if, uh, as if the Lord's going to come back, but plan and prepare as if he won't be back till we're long gone uh, from this life. So, um, but God is in charge of the affairs of man. Revelation 4.1 uh, God is going to give this specific revelation to John about what will happen in the end times, in the in the tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week. And so he is called up to heaven at the beginning of chapter 4-1 so that he will see what is transpiring on the heavenly stage and also then on the earthly stage. And those scenes go back and forth from chapter to chapter in the book of Revelation. And he's invited up, and God says, come up here, and I will show you what must take place. Now, that word must in the Greek is a word that indicates absolute necessity. It's not optional. Everything that is revealed is what must and will take place in the outworking of God's plan during the tribulation. That's God's sovereign will. Uh, Ephesians 1.11, that God, uh, were set, uh, excuse me, Paul says, in addition, it was through union with him we were made his possession. 
by his laying claim to us according to his purpose, who works all these things according to the counsel of his will. That counsel of his will is his sovereignty. This is no different a promise than Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God works all things together for good. He can do it because he's omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. But we can't, we can't even manage to work our schedule during the first three hours of the day. I don't know about you, but I usually set up, and in the morning I say, okay, this is what I'm going to do over the next three hours. And it is rare that that ever happens. Once, maybe every two or three years. Romans 9.19, in the imagery of the potter and the clay, uh, after talking about that, Paul says, you'll say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? Well, it depends on how you're defining will there. Uh, no one can resist his sovereign will, but that's not what we're held accountable for in terms of our eternal destiny. So that brings us to the third point. Third point is that the specifics of God's decreed or sovereign will are secret, unrevealed, and unknown. We can't guess them. We can't throw dice to figure it out. We can't uh, uh, do, do, throw down straws. We can't uh, cut a liver out of a cow and do hepatoscopy. Uh, we can't do any of those things to figure out and guess at what God's will is. The only way we know his sovereign will is if he reveals it to us and or after the fact, once it has happened. Then we know what God has done. So the human history itself is the outworking of God's decree. That's why it's so important to study history. History is understanding God's plan, and we see that working in history. I can't tell you how many believers, I mean, this is in hundreds have told me, I, did, I hated history when I was in school. But when I became a believer and I began to study the Word, I began to realize how important history was, and I fell in love with it. Well, the reason you didn't like it in school is the framework for history in most schools is that it's just the accidental product of time plus chance. And so it has no meaning or value, and so it's boring. God's sovereign will includes his permissive will, which allows for the actions of volitionally free moral agents, that's you and me, to make decisions contrary to his revealed moral will. God said, thou shalt not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they had, Adam and Eve had the a volitional free option to choose to eat or not to eat. That was not predetermined by God. It was a result of their own volitionally free decision. God's sovereign will includes his permissive will. He permitted sin for a purpose, and that purpose is being worked out in history and I think that uh, there's a lot about it that we don't understand, but I think one part of it is to recognize that God's will is, as uh, Romans 12:2 states, is good, perfect, and complete. I mean, complete, uh, yeah, God's will is perfect, complete. And as a result of that, 
that that's going to be demonstrated in history. And it's demonstrated in history through obedience to God's word. When we don't obey God's word, it leads to chaos and collapse. Now, so let's look at a comparison here coming out of Genesis 3. God's moral will is do not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But his sovereign will, his permissive will, allowed Adam and Eve to disobey him and eat. In God's moral will, he told Abraham, go and leave your family behind. But he took his father and Lot, along, his nephew, along with him. So God allowed him to be partially disobedient. God's moral will was to allow the Israel was to command for the Israelites to enter the land and destroy the Canaanites, but in God's sovereign will, uh, He allowed the Israelites to compromise and to not annihilate all of the Canaanites. They failed to trust God, and it led to generations of chaos. God's moral will is for us not to murder. And God's sovereign will was for to allow Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the incarnate Son of God, to be murdered, an illegal execution. And it was for the purpose. He allowed it because he was going to use that evil act to pay the penalty for sin. Fourth point is that we can only know the specifics of God's revealed or moral will. This includes all the precepts, all the mandates, all the prohibitions of Scripture. In the New Testament, there are 565 imperatives, and that includes prohibitions. That's just where you can identify that the imperative mood is used. But there are other ways that, such as imperatival participles and hortatory subjunctives, to express these mandates. So there's 1,000 to 2,000 different commands or prohibitions in Scripture, and that defines the spiritual life. Passages like uh, Romans 2.18, and know his will. So Paul recognizes we can know his will in terms of what's revealed in the Scripture. And as a result of knowing that, we can approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law. We can decide to do that which is better rather than that which is good. Most of the, most of the decisions most Christians are going to make have a, are, are not decisions between something horribly evil and sinful and something good. Uh, it's a distinction between that which is uh, good and that which is better. And we have to choose the, the, for that which is better, that which is essential. First Thessalonians 5.18, And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So somebody says, well, I just want to know God's will for my life. Be thankful for everything in your life. Truly, in your heart, be grateful. And, and if you work at that, then that's part of trusting God, and he'll make your path straight. First Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's God's will for your life. We live in a world today when that is not normative anymore. Even the attempt is not normative anymore. It is just accepted. Why fight it? Let's just give in to it. Second uh, Corinthians 6.14, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Believers in Christ violate this all the time. 
being bound together with an unbeliever is uh, parallel to fellowship, and being a partner together in marriage toward a common goal is impossible because of the last line. What fellowship, what partnership has light with darkness? We saw that the last time. Sometimes it's not just a problem of of uh, an unbeliever marrying a believer, but believers need to be, that is, growing, maturing believers need to be wise enough to ascertain whether the person that they are becoming emotionally attached to is someone who is going to stay the course and and is truly interested in God's Word and is going to uh, stay the course and grow to spiritual maturity. You can't predict that. But but it's part of wisdom. It's part of committing the decision to the Lord, and he'll make your path straight. It will become evident. Sometimes people don't like the signs, the red flags along the way that uh, make things evident. And so they uh, get themselves in trouble. They marry someone who's mostly carnal and likely to stay that way. And then they have difficulties and trouble. Two carnal believers with running on sin natures that are compatible can be quite happy. But it doesn't glorify God. So you have to have two believers who are truly attempting to walk by the Spirit, to walk with the Lord, and to do His will, to live their life and to have a marriage that glorifies God. There's a difference between having a goal of a marriage as being happy and joyful and uh, a place where we have a refuge and peace, uh, but that does not necessarily that does not necessarily glorify God. You can have as your goal to glorify God and live in the midst of well you 're living in the eye of a hurricane the way everything is swirling around you, but there 's peace and stability because you know that both of you are there to glorify God and to do the right thing and trust me. Doing the right thing is rarely something that feels good and that makes you emotionally happy. Just think about a lot of decisions that you've made. The right decision is often very, very difficult to make. It is not the decision our sin nature is attracted to. So point number five, therefore God's sovereign will includes his moral will, but his moral will, thou shalt not, not uh, clearly is not always his decree. So there's a difference between the two. That's that overlapping circle. When the creature does what God has prohibited, then God's re- revealed will is different outside of or different from his decreed will. That's the overlapping circles. When the creature does what God has prohibited, then his revealed will is outside of God's decreed will. Point number six, usually we become concerned about the will of God in the midst of some momentous decision. These are decisions that when you're young, they involve things like, where should I go to college? What kind of job should I have? How, where should I live? What do I want to do? How do I get educated? Where, uh, what, uh, what company should I work for? What should I do about uh, marriage and family and those kinds of decisions? As you get older, 
what should I do about this kid that I have spawned? That becomes an important question. And how should I discipline them? And there are more difficult questions like that, and that calls for wisdom. And see, if you haven't been growing spiritually, then you're going to lack wisdom. And then when you get older, it's when should I retire? What should I do when I retire? Should I retire? Uh, questions like that come along. So there's many, many other decisions along the way, but we get in the midst of uh, these momentous decisions, and we have to decide what to do. And God is not going to tell us, well, go buy a Honda and don't buy that BMW, or you need to buy a Nissan and don't buy a Toyota. God's not going to tell you that. Oh, don't buy that car. That's a lemon. Buy the other model. That's not going to happen. We commit those decisions to the Lord, and he directs our paths. So in point seven, if man is to do all things to the glory of God, then almost all decisions demand some level of attention in terms of a biblical framework. But not every decision necessarily involves either a moral issue or a specific will of God issue in relation to a geographical will or operational will. In other words, sometimes God gives us a large measure of freedom to decide to live in Houston, Dallas, and I don't know why he would want you to live in Austin, but I know we have people who listen in Austin, they probably ask the same question. Uh, God knows that if you live in any of those places, there are solid Bible teaching churches where you can grow to spiritual maturity and glorify God. But there may come a point in time when, as you've been living in any one of those or some other uh, location in between, that God is going to shift gears and he's going to move you to that, that ultimate decision of where he wants you to be. I know when I was in college, I had a lot of freedom. I played around and like a lot of freshmen do. I started studying more diligently when, when I was a sophomore. I had my heart set. I was on an ROTC scholarship, and I had my heart set on a career in the military. And it was like God was saying, okay, you got freedom to do all these things and follow your heart's desire. And then it came to a point where it said, okay, time's up. Game's over. You're not going to be able to go into military. That ends, and we're going to get serious about going where I want you to go. And um, so God provided all along the way. But it was an, there was no necessarily specific will prior to that. We trust God. Point number eight, since we can only know the specifics of God's revealed or moral will before the fact, that's based on specific, uh, I mean, excuse me, on special revelation. Since we can only know the specifics of God's revealed or moral will before the fact, questions about the will of God relate only to revealed information. Well, we don't want that. We want to know what I should do tomorrow, what, I, what car I should buy, what house I should buy, what, what person I should marry. Uh, we, we don't want to limit it to just what the Word of God says. That shows an element of rebelliousness in our thinking. And that's the problem is when we want God to tell us and do our thinking for us. So, so we become spiritual millennials. Is that right? We just want 
daddy to make every decision for us. But our Father God does not want to make every decision for us. He wants us to grow up and be mature, and he has given us the tools to develop the skill sets to make mature decisions, to make wise decisions. And so we have to uh, do that. God is not going to reveal the answer to all of the test questions. He wants us to learn the material, and that's part of the test, is to learn the Word of God. And God will nevertheless uh, take care of us. Uh, when we think that God's going to reveal the right answer, where's that P? Is it under the left walnut shell, the middle walnut shell, or the right walnut shell? And then everything gets mixed up, and uh, God, tell me which one is there. Uh, that's, that's, we're asking for special revelation. Special revelation ceased at the end of the first century, roughly. And so God is no longer giving that kind of information. So we're out of line. That's called rebellion. And we, want, we don't want the kind of knowledge God has given us. We want some other kind of knowledge. And so this is a rebellion against the knowledge that God has given us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We could summarize that with the word confidence. We are to be confident in the Lord that he will direct our paths. And so we are to be confident in the Lord and not lean on our own understanding. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a thoughtless or irrational decision. What the, what the contrast is here is there a way that man thinks. Twice in Proverbs it says uh, uh, there's a way that man thinks, but the end thereof is death. What man thinks on his own is right is a path to death. And so that's the contrast here. We acknowledge God. We study his word. Uh, it m may seem like this isn't a wise decision to go to Ukraine when uh, Putin has been breathing fire and brimstone for the previous six months, threatening, threatening um, war. But it may not seem wise for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to stand there in the crowd and uh, where it's clear that everybody can see that they're not bowing down when the orchestra played. It may not be wise for Daniel to go home and do as he did every day and open up the doors so that anybody who wanted to could look in, and then he would kneel down and pray to the Lord. You know, many of us think, oh, I want to honor the Lord, so I'll just go and make sure the shutters are closed, make sure the blinds are pulled, and I'm going to pray to God. See, I'm doing what God wants me to do, but... Uh, you're, you're, you're compromising in the process. So you do what God wants you to do and let God take care of the, the, the issues. And somebody may say, well, they, they died. What about those five men who went down to uh, Ecuador to try to contact an <clears throat> Aboriginal Stone Age tribe called the Alka Indians and these were young men. They had a, between them, they had a wonderful biblical education. And when they arrived there, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott were two of them. I don't remember all their names. And after um, not much time had gone by, then they were completely massacred by the Alka Indians. And people would say, 
How could God let that happen? Wrong question. See, you're operating on the assumption that God wants us to have a, to quote a misstatement in a well-known tract, how to have a happy and meaningful life. Because happy and meaningful to the unbeliever doesn't mean the same thing as happy and meaningful to the believer who walks with the Lord. And so they were doing what God wanted them to do, and where God wanted them was going to be uh, martyred on that beach. But the result of that was within a few months, most of that tribe was saved. And not only that, but they, as they trained and were equipped by the pastors, they sent out uh, evangelists to the other tribes around them so that a lot of that area, a lot of the uh, uh, Indians in that area became converted over the next five or ten years. And what was what was important about that was that those five young men gave their lives for the gospel. And human viewpoint would look at that and say, what a waste. But divine viewpoint looks at it and says, that brought glory to God because they weren't after it to do this for their own glory, but to bring the gospel to those Indians and to glorify God no matter what the cost. And so that needs to be our mentality because God has our lives in his hands. He's numbered our days. And it doesn't matter uh, where you are, but when that time is up, then God's going to take you home. And are you going to be living a life that glorifies God or living a life that glorifies yourself? Under point nine, often it is taught that aside from the precepts of Scripture, God has a specific will for our lives. Um, And so that there's one and only one a will for every decision. However, as we've seen, that's not true. Sometimes God has that specific will, but he is going to guide and direct us through opening up opportunities and shutting down opportunities. In many ways, God uh, moves us in the right direction. But what he wants us to do is to learn the word and then take the word and apply it to the situation so that the uh, the bottom line is not the decision we make, but how we make the decision, that we take it to the Lord in prayer, that we search the scriptures to see what might apply and what might not apply, that we investigate fully all of the issues related to the decision and that we go talk to people, that we put forth every effort to get all of the facts, and then we decide that which we think is best. But we do it where we have the ultimate decision also needs to be qualified by whether or not we can be involved in a local congregation where we can grow spiritually. And we're not just going to this university or that job so that we can make more money or get a better education, but at the exclusion of paying attention to our spiritual life. It's not an either-or, it's a both-and. There are places that, that exist where I do not think it would be wise at all for a believer to go because uh, of, the, of, of the threat to their own spiritual life. And there are other places where, uh, where they can go get a quality education 
and have a, or have a quality position, and God can move them up in all kinds of positions in their career uh, without compromising uh, a geographical location where they're going to be in a, um, in a, in a spiritual desert. Now, today, thankfully, we have the Internet. We have all these uh, great ways that we can tap into uh, the teaching of God's Word, but it may be at the compromise of being part of a congregation, which which is significant. So I'm going to stop here because what I want to go into next is looking at some examples of God's specific individual will where we're going to look at a number of different passages and to do that, we will slow down and look in some other uh, other particular areas. So I want to stop here, and then we will look at these examples when we come back uh, next time, helping us understand and see how the Bible, how these people made decisions and went about those decisions, and were they searching for that one special uh, dis- option that was in the center of God's will, or as it is said in um, by James in uh, Acts chapter 15, that they made a decision that seemed best to them. What? Where did they get the values for what was best? They prayed. They discussed it among themselves. They worked through the doctrinal issues. And they put it before the Lord. They trusted God and he directed their path. So this is the biblical process. We'll come back next time to look at that. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. And Father, we pray for those who may be listening, those who are here, who may have some very challenging decisions to make uh, that confront them. And they want to know what the right thing is to do. And the biblical thing, and it's it's not always one thing, but we take the 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 knowledge of your word, the wisdom that we've accumulated, and we trust you, and you make our path straight. And so, Father, help us to understand and apply this. In Christ's name, Amen.